the Dragonlance Nexus is proud to present the Dragonlance Canticle. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Champions of Kryn. My name is Megan, and I will be your dungeon master as we explore the world of Dragonlance and discover a lost story of the tumultuous years following the War of the Lance. Our first adventure in our campaign is titled The Mystery of the Lost Patrol. This is a first level, fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons adventure within the Dragonlance campaign setting, created by the Dragonlance Nexus. I would like to give a special shout out to Trampus Whiteman, head of the Dragonlance Nexus, Chuck Martinell, the lead designer for the adventure, and the design team, Timothy Shiflett, Ed McKeel, John Ryan, and Weldon Chen, as well as artists Lars Krantz and Nathaniel Rue. You all did an amazing job creating this adventure. And everyone at the Dragonlance Nexus would like to thank SSI for creating the original Champions of Kryn PC game. If you're interested in visiting the Dragonlance Nexus, please follow the link in the show notes to check out our website. If you're interested in running this adventure for yourself, there will be a link in the show notes as well, where you can download your own copy. If you'd like to play this adventure without hearing spoilers, stop listening now and please refer us to your group's DM. Lastly, you'll also find a link for our 5th edition Dragonlance setting guide, Tasselhoff's Pouches of Everything. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us at facebook.com slash dragonlance, youtube.com slash dragonlancenexus, and on Twitter at dlnexus. Now, let's meet our cast. Hi everybody, I'm Lucy, pronouns she, her, and you can find me on Twitter at ImpalaLucien. I'm going to be playing Velzelig, the Svivak Draconian Paladin. Hi, my name is Brian, he, him, playing Kyrus de Brigon, a Minotaur fighter, also a Squire of Salamnia. Hi, my name is Rachel. My pronouns are she, her. I'm playing Alisane Telfir, the Qualinesti wizard. Hi, I'm Morgan, pronouns they, them, and I will be playing Leander, the human lunar sorcerer. And I'm Megan, pronouns she, her. You can follow me at Miss Megan J on Twitter. And I have the great honor of serving as your dungeon master. Now, let's begin. One year has passed since the end of the War of the Lance. Tachesis, the Queen of Darkness, has been driven from her temple at Naraka back into the abyss by the now legendary Heroes of the Lance. Her dragon armies have been destroyed, the remnants scattered. The forces of the Whitestone Council an alliance led by the venerable Knights of Salamnia, are gradually restoring order to the war-torn continent of Ancelon. The faith of the ancient gods, lost for centuries, spreads like wildfire among the beleaguered people, bringing hope where once there was despair. Yet, all is not well. The evil dragons, the minions of the Dark Queen, remain on Kryn, free to enact their own schemes. In the city of Sanction, the last remaining dragon high lord, Kidiara Uthmatar, known as the Blue Lady, is gathering strength. The powerful Death Knight, Lord Soth, Knight of the Black Rose, stands by her side. The Draconians, ferocious lizardmen created from the eggs of good dragons by the Dark Queen's clerics, are divided and leaderless. Many have answered the Blue Lady's call, while others pursue ambitions of their own. Meanwhile, in the Lord City of Palanthus, a black-robed wizard named Raislin Magier has discovered ancient magical knowledge that may threaten all of Kryn. In Eastern Salamnia, where our story begins, 
the White Stone forces have created outposts to maintain peace in the disputed territory between Salamnia and Naraka. But a new warlord has seized power in the city of Throttle, and the White Stone forces are stretched thin. The Throttle outpost may be the next to fall unless help arrives soon. And we will start with our Minotaur, Kyrus de Brigon. You are traveling south from Vingard Keep where you have been stationed with your mentor, Sir Davik Ironshield. It's a pleasant spring day in Salamnia. The Knights of the Vingard Keep recently celebrated Spring Dawning, a traditional festival which this year has doubled as a celebration of one year since the war's end. Occasionally, you pass knights returning to the keep, who return your salute in a perfunctory manner, clearly unsure how to feel about a former enemy wearing the symbol of the Kingfisher. So tell me, how does Kairos feel to be treated with such polite disdain by men who, by their oath, are sworn to be his comrades? There's obviously some underlying feelings of resentment, but outwardly he's showing that he is determined to earn their respect. He has had a different view than a lot of his kin. Growing up, he was raised different by his father, but that sort of society, it's hard to fully purge himself of some of the resentment that would come from it. How does it feel to be a minotaur that's been trained his entire life to believe that he's superior to humans and then have these humans treating him like he's somehow beneath them? Obviously, their people believe themselves to be a bit above the rest, but he has a more grounded perspective. Their family was a little different, whereas most of Minotaur society worships Sargas. His father and he maintained a firm belief in the Emperor, also known as Kirijolith, which is not unknown in Minotaur society, but it is sort of looked down on. So they've always been a little different. And he was also inspired by stories of Kaz the Minotaur, the traveling companion of Huma Dragonbane growing up. After several days on eventful travel, you come to an intersection where the road south from the keep meets the road connecting Salanthus to the west and Throttle to the east. At the crossroads, a human man in the armor of a knight of the rose sits on a stump by the roadside waiting. As he sees you approaching, he rises to his feet. He has long, thick salt and pepper hair tied back with a leather cord. His eyebrows are thick. His mustache droops low to either side of his mouth in the traditional Salamnic style. His skin is weathered from years on campaign. Judging by his appearance, this must be Sir Carl Gardson, the knight you've been sent to meet. He greets you with a knight's salute as you approach. He calls out, Kairis de Bergen, I take it. He uh, returns a Salamnic salute and responds, I, yes. I am Sir Carl. Thank you for coming so quickly. Of course, I will go wherever I am needed. Your your mentor, Sir Davik, speaks speaks very highly of you. It's it's an honor to meet you in person. Sir Davik is too kind. I appreciate you having me. What can I do for you? As you may have heard, the roads east here have become very dangerous in, in the past few months. We've received reports that the outpost near Throttle has come under assault and that the defenses may not be able to hold. The knights are, to be frank, stretched too thin in the east right now to maintain order, especially with this new warlord coming to power and throttle. They say he's a hobgoblin. 
and uh, he kind of wrinkles his nose at the mention of the word hobgoblin. He's progressive enough that he is willing to accept a minotaur as a knight of Salamia, but not so progressive that he's willing to accept an entire hobgoblin society. Kairos will not be able to prevent a uh, snort from escaping. I can imagine it's been difficult for you as as a member of your race to join the Knights of Salamnia. I don't need to tell you this, but traditionally we have only allowed humans to join our ranks. However, with the recent war, our forces have been decimated, and there are many among the Knights, myself included, who believe that the time is long past for us to welcome other races into our order. I appreciate that. As you may know, though we have differing methods, among my people, the knights do still hold respect for their honor and their bravery. If you are as courageous and honorable as Sir Davik has led me to believe, then I am sure you will make a fine knight. Come and join me. We have two more who are coming. Mages, if you can believe it, from the Tower of High Sorcery in Waverith. He, uh, sort of visibly tenses a little bit. Not a fan of magic users, are you? I am getting over that. It is an acquired taste. You are truly a man, or a a minotaur after my own heart. I myself have never trusted a magic user. There are many in our order who believe that in order to succeed, we must allow the powerful magics that they possess to aid us in repelling the forces of evil. However, my opinion is such that the key to winning a war is not big explosions and bolts of lightning, but discipline, courage, warriors coming together in a common purpose. I'm sure you'll agree with me. I do. However, it is possible that they could be right, and we may end up needing all of the assistance that we can muster. I will do what I can to get over my previous feelings. I suppose we will both have to find a way to get over our previous feelings. They should be here shortly, and once they arrive, we will continue on to the throttle outpost. So he's going to go ahead and set up on a uh, nearby rock, pull out his axe from its holder, and he'll begin to uh, go at it with a whetstone while he waits. As Kairos and Sir Carl are meeting, two other travelers are moving in their direction from the west. Vidalia, Uluren, and Velzelig. You've been traveling the road for several days, ever since leaving the town of Elmwood. At first, you encountered many travelers moving to and from the small villages that dot this land. The farther east you travel, however, the less traffic you encounter. Vidalia, tell me how it feels to be wandering the world after such a long time. Vidalia is having the time of her life. Uh, She spent most of her life in a small farming village with her family. But now she's ready to see the world and everything it has to offer. Now, Kender are known for their wanderlust. So a Kender who hasn't had a great deal of experience traveling is somewhat of a novelty. So what, what was it that kept Vidalia at home for so long? Vidalia was very committed to raising her children. She had a husband who died fairly young when her children were still in need of a parent. So she committed entirely to raising them and making sure they were set to experience the world and follow their dreams. Uh, And now that they are all grown up doing their things, she decided it's time I figure out what my dreams are and I'm not going to find them here. You've come to your your middle age wanderlust, it sounds like. Exactly. 
Velzelig, you haven't had much contact with Kender over the course of your short life. Most of your kind regard them as little better than mosquitoes. So what's it like for you traveling with one? Something stirs inside of Vel that feels familiar, that a very, very brief moment of comfort that was experienced in the entirety of his life, which is all bloodshed and battle, being in service to somebody else. But the first thing he feels is curiosity, and he wants to know more, more about her worldview, more about her life up until this point. Well, it's funny you should mention curiosity, because curiosity is basically the defining trait of a kender. Maybe you're part kender. Maybe you have a, a, a kender soul inside your draconian body. Vel has never entertained such ideas until this very moment. <laughs> so thank you for that. That is something for Vel to think of. Draconians typically don't spend a lot of time musing on the nature of their own souls. It would definitely be a novel experience for a draconian, I imagine, to think such deep philosophical thoughts. And that would have, or it was, from the influence of another draconian that took Vel well, it has to be figuratively under his wing because Aurex don't have wings. <laughs> um, so now Vel is wondering what kind of a life could he have when he's not just been in, in service to other people's machinations. How is Vel managing to keep himself incognito as he's traveling? The Draconians at this period are still widely regarded as dangerous monsters everywhere they go. He's made more than a few people scream and cry when they've seen him. So he learned a long, long time ago to disguise himself. So Vel actually has disguised himself as a human male. However, he knows that he probably just can't go around mimicking what he experienced, what his experience was of humans, which is largely of the evil variety. So he is doing his best to come across as the unassuming, good aligned human male the type that crosses the street to help aged old humans. I mean, he's kind of getting it. He just looks very kind of your your average sort of guy. He has sat down and tried to think of these things in very literal details. So he decided that he would be six feet tall with eggshell colored skin and dark blue eyes and sandy blonde hair that is cut into a nice, neat little sort of army cut. He's just hoping nobody really takes a second look. <laughs> he sounds like a farm boy. That's the kind of image I'm getting. Yeah, I think that's the kind of image that he's hoping to convey. And Vidalia, what's it like for you, who's been kind of sheltered in this village your entire life, to be traveling with somebody who's so strange? You know the secret. You know what Vel really is, don't you? She finds Vel infinitely fascinating. Because given his background, which she knows some of, but not all, the way he reacts to, like, normal, everyday kindness and courtesy with just maybe an unsurety and a curiosity fascinates her as she is a caregiver. So she's used to just, uh, are you hungry? Let me grab you a snack out of my bag. Things like that. Vel has never been so well fed in his entire life. The mum snacks. He's living for the mum snacks. He doesn't have to eat those nasty, nasty draconian rations anymore. 
or scraps, Vidalia's protein balls are amazing. As the two of you reach the crossroads, you chance upon two men looking at you expectantly. One is obviously a human knight of Salamnia. The other is just as obviously a minotaur, but outfitted as a squire of the knighthood, something neither of you has ever seen. The older man eyes you both skeptically, especially Vidalia. Kender magic users are exceptionally rare. Those born with the gift rarely live to be Vidalia's age. The knight calls out to you. I am Sir Carl Gardson. Are you the mages the tower sent to meet us? Vidalia turns to Vel. I don't believe so. You have just come across two travelers. I'm just a, a traveler. Uh, this is my friend. We're just traveling. Yes. Good. Good. Good day to you. Are you good day? Sir Carl stands up and and approaches you, Vel, and he walks right up to you and kind of plants his feet in the ground and he he looks you up and down and he says. You look like a fine, strapping young lad. Just the kind of man the Knights of Salamnia need. Have you given any thought to joining the knighthood? Uh, Vel is going to just put a reassuring hand on Vidalia's shoulder and then looks you in the eye and just says, I, I have given some thought to the knighthood, but I am afraid I am on my way to do good things, and I just do not have the time, sir. And Vidalia sort of slides her tiny kender form between the two and looks up at Sir Carl with hands on hips. We're just going about our business. No need to be recruiting him right now. To which he replies, uh, my, my apologies, ma'am, it's, it's simply that our, our order has been so weakened protecting the land in the last war. And I see this handsome, tall young man with his, his chiseled features. This is a man the knighthood could use. I can tell just by looking at him that he is fine and honorable and upstanding. But, but for the moment, why don't, why don't you join us here? Join us here at our campsite. This is Kyris de Bragon, a squire. He uh, nods at the travelers. It continues to use the whetstone on his axe. So Vel nods in response and looks at Vidalia questioningly. Vidalia looks up and nods. I suppose we could rest for a bit. Roads are not safe these days. Why don't you why don't you travel with us? We are heading east towards the throttle outpost. Suppose if we're going in the same direction, I see no harm in that. That evening, as the sun is beginning to set, two more travelers approach the intersection via the Salanthus Road. Alisane and Leander. You arrived in Salamnia at the town of Starport by ship, then by foot to Salanthus and eventually Elmwood. There are any number of wizards at the Tower of Weyrith who could have simply magicked you to your destination, but the senior wizards believe that traveling the old-fashioned way builds character for initiates. Your mission is half field mission and half gesture of goodwill. In the new world that's being built following the war, the Knights of Salamnia and the white and red robes of the newly renamed Mages of High Sorcery have entered into a hesitant diplomatic relationship. Sending two of their own to help the Knights handle the situation in Eastern Salamnia seemed prudent to the upper ranks. So Alisane, tell us, how do you feel about the Tower's recent decision to allow sorcerers to join the ranks of the Mages of High Sorcery? Uh, Alisane isn't particularly thrilled. 
it's nice. It's it's a nice thing that we, you know this has been allowed that we're going to open up our uh, our doors a little wider for uh, for other magic users. But doesn't that take away uh, resources from mages, uh, those uh, wizards who study with books and use practical magic? So she's a little mm, a little miffed. How does Alisane feel about the idea of magic users who are just kind of born with the ability to use magic rather than having to earn that ability through study and practice and experience and hard work? It is confounding to her. Um, She's worked so hard uh, to, to get where she is, to learn what she knows. Countless nights of studying, uh, no sleep, dangerous magic, uh, just, just constant practice. And then here comes a couple of sorcerers and then a few more. So easy for them. So easy for them. So she's got, there's a little bit of jealousy there, I think, maybe, maybe more than a little bit, um, but it's very private jealousy. She'd never say it. Leander, you are one of the first lunar sorcerers to be officially inducted as an initiate of the Mages of High Sorcery. You can now practice your magic openly without fear of being labeled as a renegade. How has the decision by the mages to allow sorcerers changed your life? Leander is confused by people who have to study to have their magic. So being a part of an organization that was solely dedicated to people who study to get their magic, uh, he's he's got mixed feelings. Part of it is, why do I have to prove myself to these bookworms? <laughs> and part of it is, oh, wow, they're actually really powerful and didn't need to be born with magic. Huh, that's interesting. Then what is, how does this actually work? Like clerics get their power from gods, sorcerers are born with that power. Do wizards just get it? They just get it from reading? Like how, how does this work? The sun is just starting to go down. So you're walking along the road together. You're heading eastward. Now, do you are you two making chit chat as you're walking? Are you so uncomfortable in each other's presence that you're just kind of walking along in awkward silence? Alisane is just at the tail end of one of Leander's monologues, and uh, she just sort of sighs, and it's, it's it's quiet and measured when she says, "Um, one year, Leander, one whole year to wax poetic." Uh, about the secret meanings behind misshapen trees and broken rocks. We've been at this for less than a fortnight. I am already afraid for my sanity. Okay, but look at that tree. Look at the bark of that tree. Like, do you see the burl? It looks like a face. What if there? What if there are people trapped in that tree? It looks like a, a buck or an elk or something came by and just scraped it with its its antlers. It's it could be anything. It's it's probably very natural. I mean, it's got eyes. It's got a mouth. There's like a divot in that goes down. Oh, you know what? You're right. It looks like a bud. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have somewhere to be, so I'm just gonna keep walking. And if you want to go examine that tree, you can go examine that tree. Uh, no, no, I'm I'm good. We we can just keep walking. I'm I'm fine. Uh, do you want a peanut? Uh, and then um, she just sort of extends her arm and out from beneath 
her white, uh, long white robed sleeve comes a little white rat, um, not little, kind of chubby. And it uh, sort of skitters its way up her arm and leans in um, Leander's direction, reaches out its little, its little grabby mitts towards him. I pull out a little pouch and pull out a peanut and hand it to the rat. And it very excitedly eats it um, and then just hides back up her sleeve. Gibby says thank you. So night has already fallen by the time you realize you need to make camp. Farther east in the distance, you can see the light of a small fire. Approaching, you see a knight of Salamnia, a minotaur, a kender, and a bland, wholesome-looking human male gathered around a campfire. Sir Carl sees Alisane's white robes and Leander's red robes, signifying the orders you intend to join upon passing the test. He says, says, Ah, I am Sir Carl Gardson. Please join us. You must be the two sorcerers. Yes, yes, uh, Sir Sir Carl uh, Gardson. Um, my name is uh, Alisane Telfier. This is Leander. Uh, we were sent to help. Yes, please. Thank you for coming. Please, please join us at our campsite. Going to be dark soon. We might as well spend the night here. This is Kyrus. Uh, this Minotaur here. He is our. He is a squire in my order. Kyrus stands and he uh, nods toward them and pauses but then reaches out a hand to shake and this is Vidalia and Zell is it is it Vel Vel or or Zell I I feel like I keep hearing it two different ways Zell just Zell Zell the human this is Zell the human please please join us nice to meet you all uh Zell the human Kyris and Vidalia once they're comfortably seated, I don't know if Alisane will sit, but once they appear comfortable, she'll get up and sort of check them over in like a mom way and sort of look them up and down. You're the mages, right? What have they been feeding you? You're nearly skin and bone, both yeah. Leander's just sprawled out across his chair, eating peanuts, uh, scratching his goatee. He's like, yeah, um, you know. Uh, uh, wizard food. Um, Alisane uh, takes a, a delicate seat uh, next to Leander and kind of looks at Vidalia with just a cocked eyebrow. There's a little bit of a fence there, just a little bit. They feed us just fine. Vidalia shakes her head unbelievingly, like, clearly they don't. Uh, Sir Gardson, can you debrief us on the situation, please? Yeah, yes, of course. There's... There's a number of, of outposts uh, further to the east. There's the the outpost at Throttle, where we are headed. Beyond that, there is the outpost of Jellic and the outpost of Gargath. We, the knighthood, have been receiving reports of, of issues out in this country. Apparently, there's been incidents of, of raiding by draconians, hobgoblins, and and human bandits that seems to be on the increase. Mm, we, I see. we we need to investigate the source of of this danger and see if there's anything that the knighthood needs to do in order to strengthen our reserves here. You have been invited as as an act of goodwill for our our new mutual alliance between between the white robes, the red robes and and our knights of Salamnia. So as he is saying this, Vidalia probably is the only one who notices, but Vel their entire body just stiffens as they hear 
draconian raiding parties on the increase and they don't necessarily look nervous just their whole body just goes tense now now master zell there's no need to be alarmed we we are trained knights here and he gestures to himself and and to kairos you you don't need to fear those draconians filthy vile monsters yes you're right i certainly do not have anything to fear being protected by knights and such excellent excellent people and then he just grabs a handful of the trail mix and starts eating it leander says don't worry everybody the mages of high sorcery are here and i cast minor illusion can can i make a little tiny alisane with books in both hands looking crazily happy just holding her books up to the sky oh what is that oh it's clearly it's you why why well i'm just you know i'm just letting them know that they're safe we're here you know i just like stretch out a little bit more on my side and eat more trail mix you are definitely going to be a public relations nightmare the next morning you awake to a gray sky the weather changes unexpectedly in the grasslands of Salamnia at this time of year, and it seems yesterday's pleasantness may be replaced by a late rainfall. As you march, you all notice that Sir Carl has pronounced limp and is clearly favoring his left leg, although he neither complains nor allows it to slow him down. That evening, as expected, a steady rain begins to fall. You make shelter under a copse of trees, which provides some shelter from the rain, although the wood is too wet to light a fire. The next day, the rain has stopped, but the sky is ominously dark. About midday, you spot something to the south, along a wagon trail likely leading to a small village. A portion of the trail has been washed out by a flash flood. A wagon loaded with lumber has apparently become stuck in the mud while attempting to cross. At a small campsite above the flooded stream, a human man of about 30 sits with a girl of about 10. Does he have eggshell-colored skin? No, it's more of a kind of a nut brown skin. Excellent. He's got personality in his face. He's got smile lines around his mouth, but he's also got worry lines on his on his forehead. Maybe he's gone a little bit gray having to having to to deal with this little girl. He looks uh, like he looks like a man who's who's been around the world, who's had a who's lived life, not like not like a certain somebody else who just looks like a piece of toast. Well, it's funny you should mention that because Zell seems particularly interested in this random human because Vel is fascinated by the details, studying studying it as though one would a sculpture to see all the little nooks and crannies. He's wondering if he should actually add some of that onto his disguise. You're not going to steal his face, are you? I won't lie. Vel is thinking about it, but not in the literal sense, because he knows that would that would be something that would give the game away. But he is contemplating stealing the face down the track if things get hairy and uh, the jig is up and his current disguise um, doesn't serve him anymore. But to everybody else, it just kind of looks like he's... I'm not going to lie, it looks like he's a bit of a creeper just staring at this farmer. 
Yeah, this man is feeling a little bit creeped out as you get up close <laughs> to him and start staring at him. He he puts his hand kind of on this belt where he, he has a short sword. He doesn't draw it, but he just keeps his hand close. And his, his daughter kind of backs up behind him and she says, she says, Dad, why is, why is that man staring at you like that? The man looks down and he says, Tessa, just keep quiet. Let, let Daddy deal with this. Sir, please, please give, please get out of my personal space, sir, please. Oh, I, I understand. He takes half a step back and then he sees the child behind the father and he just, just sort of the, behind the man and then looks at the child. Your father has many lines on his face. It makes him look very approachable. It is a work of art. Leander is just staring at Vel. At this point, Vidalia feels she needs to now be involved and comes up to Zell, the definitely human side, and says, run into a wee spot of trouble. The, the man uh, nods towards his cart and he says, I, uh, I was transporting my goods here and wasn't expecting the stream to be quite so strong and apparently I've gotten myself stuck. The rain yesterday. Uh, he nods his head. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it to be quite so intense. Always, you never can tell this time, this time of year. Uh, and she sort of like takes Vel's wrist and gently pulls him away and goes, why don't we see if the others can uh, offer this gentleman some assistance? As they back up to us, can I just make a perception check on Vel and just try to figure out what is up? Do you want to do a, uh, a perception or investigation or even an insight? Whatever you think is appropriate. I would do an insight. Well, that's a four. Yeah, he just seems like a dull as dishwater generic human. Okay. <laughs> just like every other dull, creepy dude. Hey, uh, Kyrus, or is it Kyris? What's your name? Uh, it is Kyrus. Kyrus. Hey, you want to help me try and move this cart? And he uh, nods and... Uh, steps forward to assist and uh with well to help it get unstuck as you pass by kairos the little the little girl kind of shrieks and and huddles up behind her father he himself is a little bit nervous to have a minotaur standing so close to him the fact that you're traveling with a knight and the fact that you're dressed in as a squire gives you a certain air of respectability but for most people you know minotaurs aren't much better than draconians he uh Freezes momentarily, but then continues forward and tries to project a friendly air as much as possible. He tries not to visibly wince at their reactions to him, and then offers to assist. As Kairos is heading towards the cart, Vidalia, I was going to say falls into step with him, but that's... That's not going to work. Nope, her legs are far too small. But she goes next to him and sort of takes a place by the child and looks from the child to Kairos and says, look at all the muscles on that one. I bet he's going to have no problem at all getting your father's cart pulled out, uh, pulled out to the river and uses this moment to give you a bardic inspiration. Well, you got to do it. You got to play a little song if you're going to give a bardic inspiration, mm -hmm. Vidalia. We demand music. We demand a song or a little tune or something. What does Vidalia play? She's a bard. She will play a calming song on her chapak, which is a three-use 
device, but she is going to take it. It looks a little bit like a hand axe, but it's got some holes on it, and she will play a jaunty tune to inspire some levity and calm in the child, as well as giving Kairos a bardic inspiration to help him move the cart. Uh, so, Kairos, you're gonna you're gonna show off your strength, get this unstuck. He's certainly going to try. <laughs> okay. All right, give me an athletics check. Okay. Oh, that is that is a total of eight. <laughs> oh. You can add one d6 to it. That's okay. Well, let's give it a shot. So I don't think a one d6 is going to cut it. Yeah, that, the the maximum he can get is a fourteen. I'm helping him. Can I roll? Yeah, you can roll. You can roll with advantage. What am I rolling? Strength? Athletics. If two of you are working on it together, you can roll with advantage. While they're doing that, and this will not affect their roles whatsoever, I don't think, but um, while they're doing that, Alisane is going to like square her feet and do this big, wide flourish by spinning around with one arm out and then cast Mage Hand, knowing it can only lift 10 pounds. She sends the hand forward. It grips like a wheel. Um, mm-hmm. And she proceeds to look like she's straining to help, but isn't really, and trying to look like a cool, like a really cool person while she's doing it. I'm just rolling my eyes the entire time. Um, I rolled a, also I rolled a 14. Okay. Uh, so the two of you, just you struggle and you manage to get, get the cart, maybe a, uh, get the wagon, maybe an inch or two out of the mud, but it's just too heavy. Maybe we could put some boards under the wheels. Do we, do we have any boards? Well, this is a lumber wagon, so yeah, it's full of boards. Hey, can I use some of these boards to put the wheels on? Uh, the man calls out, uh, Yo, yes, that's a fantastic idea. I w- wish I'd thought of that. All right, I'm going to pull out some boards and start setting them in front of the wheels. Kairos, why don't you give me a strength check with advantage now? Well, that's an 18, so hopefully I get even better. Nope. So 18 plus 5, 23. Ooh, okay. nice. So you both heave with all your might. Uh, Kairos, you place your broad minotaur back against it and push and push. And uh, Leander, you stand beside him, uh, your hands pressed up against the back of the wagon, shoving as hard as you can. And at first, it seems like it doesn't going to go anywhere. But a moment later, uh, it finally begins to release the wheels from the mud with this kind of sucking noise. The cart rolls up along the boards that you've placed, and you manage to get it up onto the bed of the stream. The man, the lumber merchant, looks thrilled. He comes over to both of you, and he extends his hand to you, uh, Kairos, to shake it. He says, thank you so much, sir. I, I, you don't know how, how grateful I am. I apologize for how I acted earlier, for, and for how my daughter acted earlier. We are, we are truly grateful for your assistance. He uh, reaches out his hand back and shakes, a little taken aback at first, but kind of falls into, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to hide the small smile that goes over his face. I give Kairos a double thumbs up. The man says, here, let me, let me give you a little something for your troubles. And he reaches into his pouch and he pulls out uh, 10 steel coins and he gives five to Kairos and five to Leander. Oh, thanks. Kairos, before taking it, will look to his senior, see what he thinks. Sir Carl, Sir Carl says to you, we, we appreciate the offer, sir, but the Knights of Salamia do not require payment for assisting. And he, he nods to you to, to give the money back. Yeah, he, oh, he, didn't, he actually didn't take it yet. He looked over, uh, nods in agreement, says, there is no payment necessary. I was happy to help. 
and the man says, uh, "Oh, you're you're so kind. I'll I'll donate it to the temple in in your honor. How about that?" Uh, I put my five steel in my pocket and just sort of give the knight a look. Alisane, <laughs> Alisane stops Leander. At least reaches over to grab his arm and says, like it whispers low, Leander, think how that looks. Like I need money. No, we don't need money. Give it back. I need money. Oh my god. Okay. All right. All right. You need money. Okay. Never mind. Thanks for the tip. And he kind of awkwardly smiles back at you, hoping you'll leave him alone. While the uh, hastily whispered discussion about whether or not you should keep the money happens, uh, Vidalia sort of very motherly sort of maybe moves. Uh, I believe the daughter's name was Tessa, a little closer to Kyrus, and she doesn't need to kneel down. She's small but she kneels down anyway because it's what moms do and goes you're basically the height of a 10 year old (laughs) tessa this is kairis kairis this is tessa she she looks up at her father uh with a little bit of hesitation but he 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 nods to her head that it's okay and she steps out from from behind her father and, and steps forward she looks up at kairis and says um it's very nice to meet you sir uh minotaur thank you for helping thank you for helping us with our wagon um i like your horns uh <laughs> he uh of course appears a, a little awkward he hasn't had many interactions with human children but he will uh smile as friendly as possible and and kneel down and uh say to her that it was no trouble at all. I was glad I could help. Um, I hope that that you have good luck on your travels ahead. And she she says to you, "Is it true that minotaurs eat babies?" Yes. He will kind of. He's a little taken aback, um, but he tries not not to show too much of it. Um, and the 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 father says. Tessa, you know that's just a story. That's just a fairy tale. Uh, he will uh, look up to the father and then back down to the child and say, uh, no. And she looks up at her father and says, Dad, when we eat veal, is that baby Minotaur? Yes. <laughs> and he looks down and he says, no, Tessa, that's cows. Cows and Minotaurs. They might look similar, but they're very different. Alisane just gives Leander a look. A look. Vel, what are you doing while this is going on? So Vel was contemplating whether he should step in and help. But after seeing everything with the with the cart get sorted, he just sort of hangs back. He's still very much in this stage where he's never He's never traveled with a really diverse group of people before, and he's not entirely sure which of the things that he does is going to blow his cover or not. So he tends to rely at this stage a little heavily on Vidalia to lead. Uh, He's already taken in all of the man's lines on his face, and he's found that interesting. 
but for the most part, he's just sort of stayed behind and has just watched all of these events unfold. Vidalia, as you see Vel kind of just hanging back, looking a bit unsure of himself, what are you going to do? She will sort of look at the situation with the merchant, his daughter, and Kairos. See that it's sorted. The daughter is no longer scared. She's definitely had that face on uh, when you, I suppose, when you're a mom uh, and your child says a swear and you want to laugh at it, but you know you shouldn't. She's had that face on this entire conversation and seeing that there's no more fear, she goes back to Vel's side and maybe gives a look to Sir Carl. Look at him to sort of see when he wants to wrap this up and move on and stay next to Vel now that the other situation has been smoothed over. Vel actually will take the opportunity, well out of earshot of everybody else, uh, to whisper to Vidalia and just ask, would it have been better if I had helped with that cart? I easily could have lifted it up, I suppose, but is that what a human would do? A good human? A good human, yes, I suppose, would have helped lift up the cart, but we also have a couple of other strong members in our little traveling group, so it was fine if you just wanted to watch this time, but don't be afraid if you want to get involved. But that's what a good human would do. Yes, good humans tend to help other humans. For no reason. Because nobody told them to, they just want to help. Yeah, that's about the state of it. Huh. Right. I will try to take that on board. Uh, the merchant uh, manages good to get his wagon hitched back up to his mule, uh, and he hops hops up into the wagon, uh, helps his daughter up, and they, they wave as they head up the trail back to the road and um, eventually turn west, heading back uh, towards Elmwood. Farther east, the road curves around the northern edge of the southern darkwoods. To your left, you see a vast prairie. To your right is the deep forest. As afternoon turns to early evening, the sky finally opens up and rain begins to fall. Thunder rumbles in the distance. As your party crests a small rise, you begin to hear other sounds over the low thunder. The sound of people screaming, swords clashing, wood splintering, and guttural voices calling out in draconic. Without hesitation, Sir Carl draws his sword and charges up the rise. As you reach the crest of the rise, you look down to see a caravan under attack. Through the rain, you can make out the figures of eight draconians of varying sizes and shapes moving amongst the wagons and carts. Sir Carl has already reached the bottom of the hill and has already begun battling a small squat draconian. Uh, Kairos will draw his weapon and shortly after his senior will uh, follow behind to get into the heat of battle. Uh, okay. I'm following. Um, Alicine sort of freezes at the top of the hill. I'm taking in what's happening. Um, and she's sort of has one hand out at her side as if she's going to cast a spell but doesn't. And then just folds those fingers into a fist and looks terrified. Vidalia, how about you? Vidalia turns immediately to Vel, takes his hand, and just sort of says quietly to be heard above the rain, but not by Alice, and Vel, are you okay? What do you need to do right now? 
Uh, Vel will gently <laughs> squeeze your hand. Can I'd like Vel to just investigate and see if he recognizes any of these draconians from the... Uh, are they part of the, the small army that he was on the run from? Why don't you do, a, do an uh, perception check for me? Cool, I can do that. Uh, ten. Through the rain and the and the mist in the distance, you can't recognize any individuals among this group. You can recognize that the three up front, the three that are currently engaged with Sir Carl and with Kyrus, are uh, appear to be Boz Draconians, which are um, kind of the short and short and uh, squat Draconians that are uh, made from brass dragons. You also see three more Boz Draconians as well as a Capac Draconian, which is made from the Copper Dragon, and a Bozak Draconian, which is made from a Bronze Dragon. Those other five are appear to be searching for something. They're going through all the different carts, pillaging, smashing, chasing the people off. They don't appear to be focused on killing, fortunately, but they are searching for something among the different wagons and carts of this caravan. Vel relays this to Vidalia and turns to her and says, I I don't think it would make me look very human if I sit this fight out. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't make you look very human. I don't recognize any of these draconians personally. I think I will just have to take the risk. Okay, let's get some initiative going. Leander gets a five. <gasps> Vidalia also gets a five. Winsies! Uh, Fivesies. <laughs> uh, Vel got a 12. 11. 22, somehow? Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> Let me roll for my draconians. A moment. And it's on the floor. Get another one. <laughs> well, you'll be happy to know that they all rolled terribly. So. But did they good. roll a five? Uh, no, but I got a four. Nice. Thank Carrie Joelith for small favors. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Alisane, you're up first. So you've got three Boz Draconians sort of blocking off the caravan uh, from the bottom of the hill. So you're going to have to go through these three if you want to get to the caravan itself. Kyrus and Sir Carl are already engaged with one of them, but there's still uh, two more who have just noticed this group coming down the hill and are who have drawn their longswords and are looking to fight. Okay, so pale and faintly shaking, Alisane lifts her hand um, and again hesitates to cast something. There's a big difference between uh, training and skirmishes and and book studying and actually seeing, you know, combat for one of the, like, real combat for one of the first times in your life and knowing that you have to be involved. So um, it takes her a moment, but um, she sort of shakes out of it and um, is going to cast Firebolt at the closest Draconian. Okay. Roll for your attack. Is a 17. That is a hit. That is <laughs> one. Oh my goodness. Take it easy. Save some for the rest of us. Checks out for how she's feeling. Next up is uh, uh, Belle Zellig. Okay, so Vel is going to run down towards the... Which which Draconian is closest uh, So that would be the, the third one on the right. Okay, he's just going to attack the closest one. Uh, 20! Okay, was that a nat 20? Was that a nat 20? No, sorry. 15 oh. plus 5, so 20. Yep. <laughs> I was excited 20. for a minute there. Still good, though. That's a good hit. 
a dirty 20 is still a 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true, true. Um, I forgot to specify uh, it was single-handed. So Vel runs down, completely committed. As he nears the base of the hill, he draws his longsword with one hand and runs it straight through the nearest draconian, doing 11 damage, and then rips it out, spurt of blood, creating this... Uh, well, Vel thinks it's a beautiful arc in the air, but he's seen a lot of blood, so <laughs> he had to be okay with seeing blood somehow. <laughs> the the Boz Draconian sort of staggers backwards after you pull the sword out of its out of its side, and it it puts its its hand sort of uh, against its flesh to try to stop the bleeding. But as you look at it, his eyes go red, and his face kind of twists in fury. the The fear of death is not going to stop him. Kairos, it's your turn. All right, having run down with his senior ahead of the others, is he currently in front of one of the Boz Draconian? Yes, you've got the one on your on the one on the left. Out of the three of them, the one on the left is is sort of squared up with you, ready to go. So he is going to try to make it look like he's going one way, but then come at him from another angle, uh, striking at him with his battle axe. Okay. So try to try to faint and uh, go at him with his battle axe. Okay. So, okay. Well, that is going to be a thirteen to hit. Okay. So you you attempt to faint, but unfortunately you kind of overcommit to the faint, and it doesn't leave you with enough leverage to follow through on the attack, and it misses. Uh, so the Boz Draconian that you uh, just attempted to attack, Kyrus, sees sees his opening as you're a little bit off balance from your fainting attack. Uh, and he's going to swing at you with his longsword. Oh my goodness, that is a 22 to hit. Oh. That is a hit. All right, so he slashes across uh, your abdomen with his longsword for five damage. Sir Carl says to you, steady cutters, we can, we can take him. He uh, turns to a senior gives him a nod and, you know, looks back at his uh, enemy with renewed vigor. Uh, the the second uh, Draconian, the one in the center, the one that Alisane hit with the firebolt, is he begins charging up the hill towards her. He's, he's drawing his longsword as he's charging and he's he sees he sees your elven features and he, he smells the scent of elf on the air and he, he knows how delicious elves are. Oh no, oh no. Uh, okay, up next is going to be Vidalia. Theater of the Mind. Um, how close are Vidalia and Alison? Because Vidalia hasn't gone down the hill yet, so they're probably close. You're about, uh, from the ones that are at the bottom of the hill, you're about 30 feet away. But the, the one in the middle is closing in on you, so he's going to he's gonna get there soon. Gotta, he's, gotta, he's got short little legs and he's got to run uphill, but he's coming. <laughs> That's the best image. I love it. <laughs> He's just like eh, chugging eh. away. <laughs> you know, it's it's raining. It's raining. The ground is <laughs> thick. There's mud. He's trying to run uphill, and he's got his clawed feet. You know, it's tough. The little draconian that could. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's doing his best. Vidalia is going to go to Alisane. So I come up to like maybe your waist. <laughs> Um, I will gently touch you, like, on the back and say, It's alright. Everyone's got to do the first fight sometime. And to cast heroism on you. 
<gasps> Tell us what that does. Heroism, a willing creature I touch, is imbued with bravery. Until the spell ends, the creature is immune to being frightened and gains temporary hit points equal to my spell casting ability modifier at the start of its turns. Spell ends, the target loses any remaining temporary hit points from this spell. So you get two temporary hit points and you are imbued with the feeling of bravery. Oh, wonderful. I'm just going to look down at, at this this Kender woman who just cast this something on me and feeling better. Um, I just look at her confused and say, thank you. Uh, Leander, it's your turn. Uh, I'm going to spot the uh, draconian that's running up the hill at Alisane. Think about it. And uh, just decide to cast Mind Sliver on him. Oh, that is a nat fail. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. So as you uh, cast your Mind Sliver on this draconian, he feels this intense surge of pain in his skull, like a thousand migraines hitting him all at once. Uh, he, he, he loses his balance and he pitches forward into the grass and, and begins to slide back down the hill as he's clutching at his head in pain. Um, how much the, damage? Uh, damage is uh, six and uh, subtract a 1d4 from the next saving throw uh, okay. before the end of my next turn. Next up is the uh, the draconian that is squared up with Vidal. Um, I'm sorry, the draconian that's squared up with Bell is going to go for an attack uh, with a longsword. Uh, that is a 15 to hit. That what misses. You, that misses. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's, it's a 15 plus. I rolled a 15, so it's a 15 plus. Oh, nine. okay. Well, yeah, then that, <laughs> that definitely hits. So having... Having just stabbed him in the side with your sword, he's decided uh, to return the favor. Uh, so he thrusts at you, but you being much taller than he is, he can't he can't quite get the angle right. But it kind of he manages to get the the point of his sword kind of up under your rib. Actually, um, how close is Bell to Kyrus? About five feet. So I have a fighting style called protection. It says. Oh, I- do you? Yeah. yeah, while while wielding a shield and a creature you can see attacks a target other than you within five feet, you can use your reaction to impose disadvantage on the attack roll. Yeah, 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 you can do that. So nice. that's what he's going to do. Okay, so I'll roll again. Oh, a two, that's miserable. Okay, so as this Amazing. creature... Amazing! <laughs> as this, uh, as this draconian... <laughs> as the draconian is thrusting, uh, thrusting his sword um, at Vel... You notice this happening out of the corner of your eye, Kyrus, and you uh, manage to step over and extend your shield just in time uh, to deflect the attack. And then you turn back and square off with your draconian again. Like it, like it's no big deal. Okay, next up is the top of the order, uh, which is Alisane. Okay, uh, feeling a little bit less uh, freaked out, um, I'm going to take a look at the closest three draconians and see if I can get off a couple of magic missiles. Okay. Yeah. You can, you're within range of all three of them. Okay. Um, I'm going to try to hit all three then. Uh, okay. One, one missile each. Okay. So first one is a two, then a one and a three. Very good. Uh, so you fire your magic missiles. The first one strikes the draconian on the left, the one that's uh, currently in battle with the two knights and he's staggered backwards. 
the second one hits the draconian that's in the middle the one that just slid down the hill sort of kind of hits him in the center of the back and he and he gives this cry of pain and tries to tries to reach for his back with his claws not quite knowing what just hit him uh and then the the other draconian the one that's just been had his attack deflected by kairos um you your magic missile strikes him right in the chest and he's knocked back a few paces okay okay i think i got this all right and next up is vel uh again just this time two-handed uh as that draconian's attack missed uh, Vel will firmly plant his feet in the ground, clasp his sword with both hands, and swing upwards in a wide arc towards this draconian. Uh, 15? Uh, that does not hit, actually. Ah! Misses! Just whistles through the air! <laughs> Kairos, your turn. Kairos is looking for a redemption arc here, so he's going <laughs> to go ahead and uh, attempt to swing again. This time, he's not going to try anything fancy like fainting. Instead, he will, you know, kind of keep his shield up at his side, and he will look for an opening and try to do a disciplined strike at the uh, Draconium in front of him. Which is a lot better, because that is 18 plus 5. That's a hit. Hey, nice. That's a good solid hit. Oh, good. Uh, 8 plus 3, so 11... 11 slashing damage. Excellent. So you bring your uh, you bring your axe down, sort of an overhand strike, since this draconia is much shorter than you. Um, and you drive your axe into the into sort of his clavicle area, cutting through the scale mail and opening up a large gash in his shoulder. And he kind of staggers backwards, snarling at you with the blood starting to drip down his armor. And he's going to kind of give him a a glare, just kind of, you know, keep his eyes fixed on the Draconian. Okay, next up is going to be... Uh, oh, the Draconian's turn, so he's going to get some revenge. So he, he steps back from you, his, his clawed feet squishing in the mud. He thrusts his sword at you, trying to just... in Aiming for center mass, trying to just stab you straight through. Oh, but that's only an 11 to hit. Armor class 18. Okay, so that just cool. glances off your armor with no effect. And the, the Draconian snarls at you furiously. This is not going the way that he had hoped. Next up is going to be uh, the second Draconian, the one that was just sliding down the hill. Uh, so he finally manages to get back up to his feet. Uh, he's looking around. He's seeing that his his buddy to the right has just had his shoulder crushed by this minotaur. And he looks to the left and he sees that uh, this strange, boring, boring human looking man is uh, taking his other buddy to task. Uh, but he sees up at the top of the hill this, you know, this squishy looking bard and this, uh, sorry, this squishy looking kender and this squishy looking elf. And he... Uh, he charges up the hill this time with a bit more gusto, and he is going uh, to swing his longsword at Alice. But that is only an eight to hit. Oh, thank you. Uh, oh, don't even think that's going to hit a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> at least this isn't third edition. <laughs> so how does, <laughs> does Alice react as she sees this horrible monster from charging up the hill and swinging its longsword at her? Um, she sort of lets out a high-pitched shriek 
um, and staggers backwards, probably bumping into the Dahlia as she does. Okay, why don't you make me a dexterity saving throw? Oh, no. It's only plus one. Hold on. That's a 12. Uh, so as you stagger backwards, you slip in the mud and you almost go down, but Vidalia manages to steady you at the last moment. Oh, this is embarrassing. Okay, and next up is going to be uh, Vidalia. Vidalia will make sure Alisane is set on her feet and then... Yeah, I think she'll just attempt to hit the draconian. Let me bring up the right page. The flute she had been seen playing before, she just whips it out and does a twirl and it's a little axe and she just uses all her all her kender might to go at this guy's like he's medium, so probably like knees. She's going for the knees. Ooh, uh, that's a 17 to hit. Yes. <gasps> Yay, he's going to take <laughs> two points of slashing damage right to the kneecap. Ouch. <laughs> so as you slash at his knees, uh, he begins to lose his balance uh, in the mud. I'm going to have him make a dexterity saving throw too, and he's going to do it with, um, he's still got that penalty from... Mind sliver. Mind sliver, that's right. That is nine minus four. Oh, he loses his balance. That slash to the knees did the trick. He loses his balance and he just pitches forward into the mud with a big splash, getting nice. getting mud all over uh, Alisane's nice white robes. Oh no. Uh, Leander, your turn. Leander uh, sees the draconian go down and figures they have it handled up on the hill and turns his attention to Kyrus and uh, the person he's fighting and cast Mind Sliver on them. Okay. It's another intelligence saving throw. Yep, of 13. Oh, another nat one. I am rolling like garbage today. Well, that's just beautiful. It's only two points of damage. Better than zero. Uh, Okay, so with your two points of damage, you don't quite give him the insane migraine that you did to the other one. More just like a, a dull kind of throbbing headache. But it's, it's enough to kind of distract him. Uh, he doesn't, his, his eyes don't look quite as focused as they did a moment ago. Take that. And uh, the Boz Draconian, the one that's squared up with you, Vel, is going to charge at you, going in for another another killing attack. It was deflected last time, but now it's going to, now it wants to finish the job. Um, so it's going to thrust at you with the tip of its longsword. Oh my goodness, that is a 23 to hit. Oh my god. Uh, as a reaction, seeing my my darling piece of toast, human, definitely human, in danger, Vidalia will use her reaction to cast Silvery Barbs. Oh my goodness, Silvery Barbs. Okay, so that's gonna give that's gonna give the Draconian disadvantage. Yes, and I can give Vel advantage on his next roll. Okay, well, uh, I rerolled, so that's a fourteen to hit. Uh, that misses. Okay, so uh, he's he's thrusting at you with complete confidence, and then this... I mean, I don't know what silvery barbs is supposed to look like. Does it look like literal, like, silvery barbed wire flying through the air and hitting you, or or is it more like a metaphor? 
I think it might be a metaphor. You magically distract the triggering creature and turn its momentary uncertainty into encouragement for another creature. So I just, I yell at him like, Oi, mind your business. So as he's thrusting at Vidal, at, sorry, as he's thrusting at Vel, he he hears you calling out and he turns his attention and just, just misses with his stroke. Uh, and now uh, Vel has advantage on uh, his next attack. Thank you, Mama. Okay, next up is Alisane. All right, um, so seeing the draconian um, who, who lost his footing, thank you, uh, Vidalia, uh, she's going to, um, am I still prone? Am I still down? No, you, you never fell down. You just lost, oh, okay. you lost your balance, but Vidalia caught you. Gotcha. Um, I'm going to stay, uh, stand up tall, and um, look down at the draconian, reach out a hand, and then with my other hand, I'm gonna surround my wrist, and then just cast Firebolt, just from feet away. Roll for your attack. It's an 11. Okay, and you can have disadvantage on that attack because he's kind of uh, kind of fallen down to his knees after the attack from Vidalia last, uh, last turn. Um, so you can re-roll for advantage. Okay, um, that would be a 22. Okay, that's a hit. <laughs> <laughs> Make it a good one. All right, eight points of fire damage. Okay, so you blast this draconian uh, with your firebolt. He's he's on his hands and knees. You sort of blast him right in the top of the head. If he had hair, it would be it would be on fire. But as it is, you just burn the top of his scalp, kind of black, blistered red. And he throws up his claws to his hands, or clutching his scalp and crying out in pain. Oh, that smells like roasted pork. I don't know what it smells like. Roasted something. I, I can't imagine it smells as good as roasted pork. Yeah, probably not. Uh, next up is Vel. Vel, seeing this draconian come for him, and then as Vidalia calls out, he also turns his head. And in that moment, while he is grateful for the assist and this bar's miss of him, he also sees that Vidalia is right next to this draconian that's on the ground in front of her and he's near enough to her and his blood boils. So with a snarl of impatience, he grips his longsword and swings hopefully one last time at this bars next to him, aiming for the throat. 20 in total. Okay. Uh, Yeah, that hits. Roll for damage. Uh, ah, that's disappointing. Only six damage. Well, it's going to be good enough. Yes! You slash slash at this uh, draconian, this Boz draconian with your longsword. He is distracted by the silvery barbs, and you've been encouraged to take advantage of his momentary distraction as you slash at him with your sword. Um, However, as your blade cuts through his flesh, his skin, which was kind of a a green-tinted color begins to turn gray and it begins to take on the texture of stone. And I want you to make a dexterity save. Do that. Let's see. Ugh, seven. I've lost so my sword. <laughs> the blade of your long sword gets stuck in this Boz's flesh as it turns to stone. You know what? Vel has seen this many times. Sometimes it just can't be helped. He, after seeing all of that, let's go with the blade. It's stuck he is going to run up the hill and attempt to jump on this draconian for his next turn, but he's going to use the remainder of his turn to run up the hill. Next turn is uh, Kyrus. 
Alright, keeping his eye on his current foe, he is going to attempt to go for another swing. Well, he's going to kind of, actually, he's going to go ahead and try to go for the neck. Okay. Alright. Fifteen total. Oh, that's not going to do it. It's, well, it's tough when you're so much taller to get that, to kind of, to get that right angle, you know? <laughs> Just kind of, just kind of graze his neck. Maybe you draw a drop of blood, but not enough to do any real injury. Uh, but uh, having just had his uh, throat nicked, he's gonna turn his uh, turn his blade towards you, uh, and he's gonna holding it with both hands. He's gonna just come charging at you, trying to to gore you through the chest, like a, like he's holding a little lance. Uh, oh, that's an eleven to hit. I don't think that's gonna do it. Uh, so he charges at you with his long sword, but you're able to easily side step him as he overcommits to his thrust. Awesome. The draconian that's on the ground, the one that the one that's just had the top of his scalp burnt off by Alizane, <laughs> uh, gets back up to his feet. He sees Vel coming charging up the hill at him. He doesn't want a, any piece of this of this human that's just that's just killed his comrade. So he's going to try to finish off this wizard once and for all. So he's going to get back to his feet and thrust at you with his longsword. Oh my goodness, that is a 23 to hit. <laughs> yeah. So how much damage does he do? Oh my goodness, that is 8 damage. <laughs> Thank you for the temporary hit points. I am at 1 HP. <laughs> um, yeah, so he uh, stabs you with his longsword and... You just see this red spot of blood appear in the the white of your robe and begin to spread outwards. Pristine, previously pristine white robes. Yeah, and poor Alisane, who's never had a cut or a bruise in her whole life, has now just been stabbed for the first time. Feels bad, man. <laughs> <laughs> We've all got to be stabbed for the first time at some point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, sure. Uh, okay, so next turn is going to be Vidalia. Don't really want to cast another spell. Um, I'll go for the knees again. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's a sixteen. No, it doesn't quite do it. Ah, I can see Val coming up the hill, and I think that's all I can do. I don't really want to go anywhere, and I don't have a bonus action I can use. Okay, uh, Leander, it's your turn. You've got. Uh, one draconian at the top of the hill who has just stabbed your comrade. Um, and then you've got the other draconian uh, at the bottom of the hill who's uh, who's in one-on-one combat with uh, Kyrus. So Leander happens to glance back and see Alisane basically run through. So he turns his attention away from Kyrus and focuses wholly on the draconian attacking Alisane. And he's going to cast Dissonant Whispers. That is a wisdom saving throw of 13. Ooh, failure. Uh, that's 15 points of damage. Wow. Uh, so this draconian who has just impaled Alisane with his longsword, he grins at, at his handiwork and he raises his sword up above his head. He's going to take advantage of this moment to, to finish off the job, finish off this little elf wizard. When suddenly... He freezes in place. His eyes go from left to right and left to right as if he's as if he's hearing somebody speaking, speaking to him. 
and his his face contorts in pain. He throws his hands up to his head. Um, he drops to his knees, screaming in pain, screaming in fear. And as you watch, his body turns gray and begins to transform into a statue. Very nice. I mentally give Lunatari a high five. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as this is happening, um, we've still got one draconian left. However, the draconian... I'm working, working on, on it. <laughs> the Draconians, <laughs> you hear a cheer from the Draconians who are who have been raiding the caravan um, while this fight has been going on. Because so everybody would give me a perception check. Leander uh, gets a three because he's pissed. Vidalia gets a 12. Uh, Vel gets a 19. Okay, so looking out down the hill and over this caravan, you see one of the Draconians, the Bozak Draconian to be specific, lift something up into the air over its head. It's it's sort of a rectangular object. It's hard to make out what it is at this distance, but he lifts it over his head kind of in triumph and uh, and his comrades gathered around him cheer. And as you watch, they turn and they make a run for the tree line. And while you're still stuck up here on the hill, taking care of your, of your friends and trying to finish off this last draconian, the remainder managed to disappear into the woods. Well, cusses under his breath and draconic, forgetting to act human for just a moment. <laughs> Alisane, it's your turn. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, I kind of fall to my knees and clutch my, my wound in my stomach, and I'm going to look at Leander with just surprise, and also, you know, I'm, I'm very pale from, from blood loss at this point, <laughs> um, and I'm going to cast mage armor on myself. Okay, um, so you get a uh, 2 to your AC then? Um, yeah, so I'm at 14 AC right now. Uh, next turn is Bell. So these other Draconians have definitely gone now. I can't catch up to them no, at all. No, they're, they're gone. Okay. Well, I can see that that Draconian at the top of the hill is now stone. So Vel feels a sense of relief just wash over him. So he's going to run back down the hill. <laughs> up and down. And up and down. Back down the hill working his glutes, and he's going to just run and attack this Draconian. That's um, the last one, the one that's left, with a two-handed swing. So he runs down. Actually, not a swing. He runs down and attempts to impale this Draconian with his sword. Um, which which sword? Your sword is stuck in the other Draconian. Oh, yeah. Well, that, I forgot about that. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to attempt to tackle him. Okay. <laughs> Okay, why don't you give me a uh, an athletics check? Cool. Uh, 15. Oh, you, you try to tackle him, but he manages to, to, to hold his ground, and he elbows you in the back of the head, and you drop to the mud at his feet. Ow! This is not the day I hoped it would be. <laughs> what did you say that you got, actually? Uh, 15. Okay, well, I just realized that I've got a, a negative D4 from the mind sliver earlier. So oh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll it. If I get a four, you can succeed. Okay. I did. You succeed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you managed to tackle this draconian to the ground. He is now prone. Take that. Oh, boy. This looming minotaur is like, oh, boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what's coming next. <laughs> well, let's find out. It's your turn, Kyrus. Okay. So... 
Kairos is, I mean, obviously he was locked in combat. Next thing he knows, he sees a totally normal, totally just regular human uh, come <laughs> nowhere and just tackle this draconian to the ground. And without wasting a second, uh, he decides to take advantage of this and go for a decapitation on the uh, draconian on the ground. Nice. Okay, um, so can you remind me what, uh, how the subject being prone affects uh, attacks? You get you get a, to attack with advantage. Okay, um, and I'm, I don't know if, no, that's that, I think that might actually be um, if they're like uh, held or something that it would be an auto crit too, but I think it's just a advantage. I think that's if they're unconscious. Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and just roll with advantage then. Hopefully, I'll actually do it. Alright. Uh, well, that's a 23, and let's see what the second roll is, because it could be a crit. So, um, that is not a crit. But, uh, so the for the swing is a 23. And for how much damage? Uh, well, that is a good question, one that I will answer momentarily. Um, eight. Okay. Alright, you can nice. make a dexterity saving throw, please. Yeah. Um oh yeah, because my original plan was if he was about to die to use Goring Rush to push him out of, out of the way, but whoops. Uh <laughs> I stole that from you, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> so that's a natural one with plus zero. Oh, oh no! <laughs> All right, so you manage to get the blade of your axe about a quarter of the way through his neck before you just hear this loud clang noise and you feel the vibration uh, of, of metal hitting stone, the vibration reverberating up your arm. The draconian quickly transforms into stone and uh, try as you might, planting your foot on the draconian's head and pulling with all your might, you cannot get your axe free. Oh no! However, the you've now got three dead draconians, three statues. Um, the living draconians have all escaped, um, and the it looks like the day has been saved for now. Um, in all of this, uh, where was Carl? Uh, uh, he's just been watching your technique, watching your form, evaluating you. Okay. Now he may need to make a recommendation on whether you uh, join the knighthood eventually, and so so he's by you, he's near you. Okay, um, so having fought in a battle with draconians previously, um, if I remember correctly, doesn't their body eventually dust? Um, Event, yeah, it it takes a couple minutes. Here, I'll I'll roll for the minutes. Okay, yeah, so you got about three minutes. So as long okay. as you hang around for three minutes, you can get your weapons back. So, Alisane, how are you feeling up there on the hill? I am attempting to hold my guts in. <laughs> Leander is still annoyed um, and notices that Sir Carl didn't do anything and just sort of yells to him, Hey, uh, were you going to help out at some point? Vel will check to make sure Vidalia is okay. And then will turn his attention to Alisane and use Lay on Hands. Tries not to touch her uh, where the wound is directly on the wound, just in case it, you know, disrupts the illusion 
uh, <laughs> like the scales on his hands, but just gently and heals five points of HP for Alisane. So Alisane, uh, you start to feel a, it's uncomfortable at first, it's a warmth, but it then feels like this, uh, this fearing kind of sensation. And you just look down and slowly you start to see this wound mend together. And Vel will look at you and just say, I can't mend your clothes. Sorry, just the wound. Uh, Alicine seems a little mistrustful at first, but considering she's bleeding out, I don't think she has much room to uh, be mistrustful. So <laughs> um, she uh, just watches this happen and and experiences this sensation of healing that she's felt before, but maybe not quite like this. And just sort of stares at Vel afterwards in like fast, like distant fascination and just says, where did you learn to do that? I've just picked up some things along the way. I travel a lot. Huh. Can, can I make an insight check? Uh, yeah, go ahead. That's an 18. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Um, okay, so uh, Vel is, there's a lot that Vel is holding back. There's much more to this power than just something he picked up along the way. Just in like, in like blatant amazement, I'm just going to kind of just stare into his eyes for a moment and then narrow my eyes just slightly to give the impression that I've noticed something, but I don't say anything. And I just kind of, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Seeing that, seeing that Alice may maybe getting a little, a little too interested in, uh, what Vel is saying, she's going to sort of lead over and say, "Ah, let's get let's get your pretty dress all fixed up, and cast mending on the uh, slash." So now the the wound is healed, the dress is healed. You just got a whole lot of blood on you. <laughs> I don't know if mending oh. cleans it up. If you got pressed to digitation, that'll clean it up. Unfortunately, no. I can I can take care of this later, but thank you. Uh, okay, so as a uh, as you're working on healing Alisane, the three draconian statues crumble into dust. Um, so Vel and Kyrus, you can grab your, your weapons again. Sweet. Um, the, the people who fled from the caravan initially uh, begin to return. You see the, the, these stragglers kind of come back together and they're, they're checking out what happened, um, checking out the damage. A man in sort of in his mid mid to late thirties, a human man with dark skin. Uh, he approaches you inside. At his side, there's a boy, maybe about thirteen or fourteen. Based on their on their appearance, you guess that this is father and son. Uh, the the man approaches you, and he kind of gives uh, Kairos a little bit of a wide berth. But he sees Carl. He sees this knight of Salamnia gear, and he he goes and shakes his hand. He says, he says, uh, I can't thank you enough. You've you've saved us all. I I don't know what those monsters were were going to do to us. My name is. My name is Master Julian. I'm the I'm the caravan master here. This is this is my son Torin. Thank you. I I can't thank you all enough for what you've done. The draconians took something. What was in that caravan? Vel will point to the one that he saw the draconian take the box-looking thing out of. Okay, so this caravan is painted yellow and it has a uh, a purple iris painted on the side of it. Julian says, "Oh, that that's uh that's Seymour Seymour's wagon." Uh, let me let me get him over for you. And then he, he steps away and he comes back a moment with a uh, a man with sort of gray hair balding on top of his head. He's a little bit stout. He looks to be maybe in, in his mid-50s. Uh, he looks visibly shaken, 
but he's also appears grateful. He thanks you profusely for helping. He says, he's my, my name is, my name is Seymour. That, that was my wagon that they, that they were attacking. I don't know. I don't know what they were looking for. Well, what do you, what do you keep in your caravan? He says, I, I trade in, in all kinds of sundry goods. Uh, I bring goods to the outpost. And then when I return, they give me their personal effects, personal items, uh, mail, things of that nature to deliver. I don't know what I could have been carrying that was of such interest to them. So you don't take an inventory? No, these are people's personal belongings. They just put them in crates and send them on their way. Uh, Vel will explain to everybody what he saw when he was on top of the hill, just so everybody is up to up to speed on why Vel's asking. He says, uh, "You're you're free to come. You're free to come look at my wagon, if you'd like." If you don't keep an inventory of what you're transporting, do you have a a manifest of maybe who's sent items with you? No, no. Unfortunately, I I don't keep a manifest. Not when I'm transporting goods away from the from the outpost. I keep track of my own stock, but this is this is others' belongings. And you said you don't ha- mind us having a little bit of a poke around. No, please. I'm I'm an honest man. I have nothing to hide. I'm as curious as you are about what they were looking for. Um, Alicine, without looking at him, Alicine is going to move towards Leander. Um, and kind of stand next to him and, and kind of uh, smooth out her, her robes. And while watching what's happening, she just says to him, they wouldn't have sent us on this mission if we couldn't handle it. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's right? true. Mm-hmm. No, we are fully capable of doing this. I'm going to go check out the wagons. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, all right. I'm going to walk down to the wagons and start looking through. Okay. You can give me an investigation check. 17. Uh, searching through the wagon, um, you find what appears, it, it appears to be just what Ma- what Seymour described. It's uh, personal odds and ends, mail, packages, um, little gifts, things like that. Uh, but among the, among the letters, you find one that looks like it was, that it looks like it was ripped open and then discarded. Um, but reading through it, it, it kind of catches your eye. It's a letter written uh, by a man named Larsent to his brother named Istan. Uh, and then in this letter, uh, Larsent appears to be one of the knights stationed at the outpost. Uh, and he speaks of the recent troubles in the region, as well as the looming threat of the Blue Lady. Um, he also speaks of rumors of missing good dragon eggs um, that had been stolen to create more draconians, but were never recovered after the downfall of Naraka. He also describes the situation at the throttle outpost, he mentions that the Commandant has been sending out more and more patrols ranging far and wide, and some have not returned. Um, and he's clearly doubtful about the Commandant's ability to lead. Uh, I share all this information with the group. Sir, oh, Sir Carl is going to kind of step in and, and look at the letter over your shoulder, and he says, the, the, commandant of, the Commandant of the Throttle Outpost is Sir Brenton Silverlance. I've never... Met him personally, but by all accounts, he's a he's an honorable, righteous man. Vidalia is going to look over at Val, um, maybe make an insight check just to see how he's doing, how he's handling. Like, we don't need to do an insight check. Val, t- tell tell her how you're feeling. Share your feelings with her. Share your feelings. <laughs> 
So Vel seems fairly impassioned with all the information until he hears about collecting more dragon eggs. And again, that familiar tenseness sort of just ripples through his body. And he looks at looks at Vidalia and just shakes his head, which Vidalia, you know, is in the best way he knows how is him saying to you, we'll talk about that later. After three days of uneventful travel, you hear cheers from the front of the caravan as they reach the crest of a hill. News travels quickly down the line that the outpost is in sight. Upon reaching the hill, you see it for yourself. A wooden palisade has been constructed around rough-hewn log buildings. You see smoke rising from the blacksmith's forge, but notice very few soldiers on the walls. A few minutes later, the caravan passes through the heavy wooden gates, and the soldiers standing there look up at you, their faces grim and dirty. A large human man wearing plate mail and the trappings of a Knight of the Rose approaches and studies you for a moment. He says, mm, We weren't expecting you, but welcome to the Throttle Outpost. I am the Commandant, Sir Brenton Silverlance. You have my permission to rest here for one night before continuing on. Vel, as you, yes. pass, as you pass through the wooden gate and into the outpost, you pass by Sir Brenton Silverlands. As you do, you immediately recognize a familiar scent. Brenton Silverlands is not what he appears to be. He is a Sivak Draconian in disguise. As you look into his eyes, he meets your stare. The expression on his face is deadly. If you reveal what he is, he will reveal what you are. And that's where we'll stop for today. Oh, <laughs> oh, man. oh, what a place to leave it. Oh, my God. Zinger. Oh, man. Oh. That was good. <laughs> that was so good. Oh, my God. So definitely in the box. There are dragon eggs, right? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Let's have to wait and oh find out. God.